following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute. Held against me <laughs> in a court of law. Um, okay, so uh, so so let's begin with. I mean, first and foremost, um, it's just interesting to note in within Jewish law. There's literally a whole tractate. This is just the mission, the mission of it. And the Talmud, one of the biggest tractates in the Talmud is called Baba Batra. Okay, which literally means just it's, it's a, it was three volumes of one tractate that was split in three. The biggest one, which is the last one, Baba Batra means the last volume um, out of the three, deals specifically with um, what's called Niskeshchenim, damages, literally translated as damages. Nizakin means damages to Shechenim, Shechenim means neighbors, okay, so neighborly damages, or damages to neighbors is what, is what this whole, more or less this whole tractate deals with, so um, conflicts between um, one's right to do as he pleases on his own property, um, and the ramifications it could have for your neighbor, so it's, uh, so it's interesting that there is, this is not, uh, um, this question of how to deal with neighbors, it's not a new topic obviously, it's something that's been around since uh, the concept of living next to each other came about, um, and, and various examples, I just put down a few here, uh, various examples of what was, what's discussed um, relevant to, to our issue. So you have here on the inside here, one is doing construction on one's home, causes part of the structure to extrude over the neighbor's property. So let's say I'm building a second floor where it's going to be sticking out air rights, I guess you can call them, which is a big thing in Texas. Also, um, especially with everything that's going on now, with many of the fracking, um, the fracking issues, a whole different topic, which we've, I think, addressed um, some of the issues in the past. So that, that becomes an issue of how does it work if I build over the property, if I have a tree protruding into my neighbor's property, etc. Um, there's a question of opening a window that will provide a view of the neighbor's private yard, dealing with privacy issues when you can see um, into a neighbor's yard, angling a drainage gutter that causes the water to run off onto neighboring property. Um, right, so I actually am guilty of this. I, I have uh, one of my... Um, gutters as a long spout which goes right into my neighbor's drain um, with permission of course um, opening <laughs> excuse me opening a auto repair shop in the backyard you know you have uh, many times especially in Texas depending on which neighbor you live in your neighbor can have uh, six to eight cars in his driveway while that is tinkering with and a motorhome and, then, and three pickup trucks um, so the question is is that something machines and, yeah. right? Um, of course, playing loud music. It's a, sorry, a typo here. I wrote load music until all hours of the night when it disturbs the sleep of the neighbors. These are all things, and I put even the sources here that are addressed in the code of Jewish law. Believe it or not, because as we know, Judaism is not just a religion. It deals with ritual law. Deals with, as we should know by now after doing this for a number of years, deals with all aspects of your life. Covers every everything, including um, your obligation to your neighbor, and that's a very important. Distinction, I believe, between much of what we're going to talk about today is just important to note the source of both the Western law and English common law of about zoning. Can you hear me? A little bit. I'm a little bit. Come, come, come a little closer. Come closer. Um, he doesn't bite. He doesn't. Uh, especially on Mondays. You don't, you don't know that for a fact. <laughs> especially on Mondays. So, so the, the, and there's a major distinction, just as by way of introduction, between Western law and how Jewish law approaches much of these issues. 
and I think we've met, I'm sure we've mentioned this here in the past, but specifically the distinction begins with this, meaning how, from what perspective are we viewing these issues? When, for example, we say, let's say privacy rights, which as we know is a, is a um, on the bedrocks of the American Constitution, um, it's a constitutional right to privacy, that is viewing it from the angle of I have rights, meaning I as, as a citizen of the United States have certain rights, which is I, can, I have privacy, therefore I have a right to do things on my property which you cannot control. You can't tell me what I do in my bedroom, or my backyard, you know, how I mow my lawn, as long as I'm mowing my back lawn in, in, on my property. If I'm doing it, uh, you know, buck naked, that's my problem, not yours. You can't tell me how to, how, what I can do in my own property. That's the right to privacy. In Judaism, there's no rights, as we discussed many times. It's all about what my obligations are as a neighbor. Okay, so it's not about that you have a right to privacy, it's that I, as your neighbor, don't have a right to see what's going on in your backyard. I, as a neighbor, don't have a right to play loud music. Now there is, uh, from what I understand, a little I understand about the legal, the Western law part of it, and the English common law, which is the source of the Western law, there is somewhat, even when it comes to zoning laws, uh, many of them do come from the fact of not as a right um, of the homeowner, let's say, or of the citizen, but as a nuisance law. That means you as a neighbor can't be a nuisance to your neighbor. Okay, you as a citizen, so which is similar to the Jewish aspect in that sense, um, meaning we're looking at it from the aspect of what is my obligation to my neighbor? I can't play loud music, not because they have a right to sleep at night. There's no constitutional right to sleep eight hours at night, unless you're a teenager. Right, but you have, you have, you cannot be a nuisance to your neighbor. So many laws, interestingly enough, do overlap here with the Jewish perspective in the sense of it's, it comes from the obligation from one person to the other, from the neighbor as opposed to the right of the, of the neighbor. So, but like I said, privacy would be, would be one place where it would be a distinction. And as we'll see, many of these laws do come from privacy. Um, so, so, how are you, sir? Um, so, leaving the, the few examples aside, which are important examples, so we're going to begin with this as aspect that the Talmud um, actually brings a biblical source, believe it or not, for the prohibition for privacy rights. Again, I don't like using the word privacy rights because, again, it's the obligation not to, to be looking into someone else's business, okay? In the literal sense and in the, and in the uh, physical sense. Um, the, the source for that is in the Torah itself. It's actually in what we, dis we it's actually stated every morning um, in the liturgy, in the Shachris prayer, morning prayers. Um, there's, a, there's a prayer, little known prayer, prior to the service, which we say, and it's from, um, it's taken from Leviticus. I believe it's Leviticus. Uh, sorry, Numbers. Numbers 23, um, which is uh, in Hebrew, it's known as Matovu. The prayer is known as Matovu, Matovu Lafayako, which literally translates actually taken these words plagiarized from the Torah, from Bilam, Bilam who was a Gentile prophet. I mentioned this here in the past when we spoke about privacy rights and other forms of email privacy, etc. But, but one of the main sources um, in Judaism for privacy rights is from this non-Jewish prophet whose name was Bilam. He was uh, hired out 
by the king, uh, by Balak, the king of the Midianites. And basically, when he came to curse the Jewish people, he was hired to curse the Jewish people, he saw them encamped in the desert. And you have to, if you think about um, the uh, nightmare of privacy, the Jews spent 40 years in the desert with approximately 6 million people at the time. Because um, it's, uh, uh, sorry, I said 6 million, I meant. Uh, probably around uh, maybe 3 million, 2 million or 3 million, based on there's no exact number, but the Torah does specify in its census when they left Egypt, there were 600,000 males between the ages of 20 and 60. So if you do the, uh, the if you, um, if you do the math, so it gets around two, two, to around 2 million, including children and their spouses, etc. How do you maintain those laws and oh, privacy laws? Exactly. Like so that's exactly the point I'm getting yeah, to. Exactly. So you can imagine it's a nightmare being camped in a desert. This was a nomad nation and traveling through the desert for 40 years in tents. Okay, so you'd think there'd be no constant privacy. But Bilam, when he was viewing the encampment of the Jewish people from the mountain, mm -hmm. mountaintop, he was looking down. He, this is what his words were. It's quoted here. How goodly are your tents? Um, how goodly are the tents of the Jewish people? And the, all the commentaries explained that to mean that he saw the tents, how when they camped, and this was not an easy task, again, because they were constantly traveling, when they would set their tents up, each family, no two doors, no two openings in the tents were facing directly each other. They all were uh, angled in a way to keep privacy. In, in, in uh, some, some like to interpret the question of tzniut, which is the concept of modesty in Judaism. We like to talk. People think it's only a thing for females, and no, modesty is a very modesty is an important thing for males and females. We keep privacy is not not a right, like we're saying. It's an obligation as a Jew to keep private. We don't go hanging it all out, and and uh, the way we dress, the way we talk, the way we act, we're supposed to be modest. And that's this concept of of what we call modesty. Again, it's not limited to people say, oh, it's only females. We make females dress a certain way. It's not true. In all of uh, Judaism, there's this concept of madness, whether it's emotionally, whether it's f outward physical attributes. Um, modesty is an important concept in Judaism, and this was what Bilam, um, this non-Gentile prophet, was, uh, was attesting to. He saw how the tents were, again, um, the doors were not facing each other. Based on this, the Talmud derives that this is an obligation, and that when one builds a home, says the Talmud, um, that's quote number two here. It says, and this is actually not quoting the Talmud, it's quoting the codification of the Talmud in Shulchan Aruch, number two on the sheet. It says, well, one may not place a door opposite his neighbor's existing door. So if I'm building my house um, and a window opposite his neighbor's window, so this is very, can get very complicated. Um, it says, when you're building a house next door, whether it's in Bel Air or wherever you're building your home, um, you're not supposed to literally build a door or a window exactly facing your neighbor's window. It has to be somewhat to the side, says the mission. It has to be that when you're looking through their window, if you're going to be looking through the window, it has to be at an angle, not at, not direct, which gives it much. Obviously, you can still you might still be able to see into their homes, but the point is, um, you, looking at angle is very different than looking uh, at um, straight across. Actually, this morning I was uh, met an architect, so I was telling him some of these laws. It was fascinating. He said, in feng shui, obviously in Asian culture, there's very similar laws. You're not allowed to make one window facing another. Um, obviously, it's for different reasons. That's for more heebie-jeebie reasons, um, which, which I don't understand. Um, but, but similar, and in, uh, he says very similar in that culture, you're not allowed to make a window opposing, one window opposing another, a door opposing another. But uh, I don't know if they got it from here or not. But uh, in the Torah, this is, this is, again, it's not explicit in the Torah, it's derived 
from the statement of Bilam, and, and it's codified with Jewish law. So when you're building a home, you can't build a home opposite your neighbor's door, a door opposite your neighbor's door, an existing window opposite your neighbor's window in a courtyard. Such an invasion of privacy is actually a form of damage, and it's termed hezek ria. Um, it's called damage by just by seeing. Yes. So I have a question. Um, sure. Say, okay, so say I live right here, all right? And my neighbor lives right here. And one day my neighbor moves away and a new house is built. And the old house, none of those matched up. But with the new house, the doors and windows now match up. Who is obligated, if the neighbor's not Jewish in this case, who is obligated to change? Yeah, listen, so if he's not Jewish, there's nothing you can do. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't have to keep these laws. As a Jew, you're obligated. to somehow change from my doors and windows. No, no, no. I'm saying the fact that he's coming after you, we're going to talk about that. Of course, the fact that he's coming after you, the onus is on him. But if he doesn't want to keep it, you don't have to rebuild your home because of it. Just saying you have no recourse uh, when okay, if he's not Jewish is what I'm saying. It's not me who's invading privacy, it's him who's allowing Yes, exactly, exactly, exactly. So that's his problem. You have no recourse, but of course, um, meaning if he's a Jew, technically there might be some recourse. You can take him to a bad din, Jewish court of law, technically. <coughs> okay. Um, so, so, so this is again, it's it's something which goes, I think, above and beyond, obviously, normal even Western privacy concerns, um, which is that I don't think any any this is as far as I know, any state or municipality requires this. So you can't build a window directly across from another one. By the way, of course, it doesn't mean if you live across the street and they're across, you know, yeah. You're I mean, obviously the distance, yeah. I mean, this, once there's a certain distance between them, then it's not an issue either. Yeah. It's only, obviously, within a certain distance. I don't remember these. It's all codified in, in detail. I'm, I'm just bringing more or less. It's an extensive topic. I'm, I'm just covering the, the principles of it. Um, but clearly, if there's something in between. Now, um, so again, so here you see this concept, and it's not, it's, there's different opinions as to exactly how to define what this issue is. Is it a monetary damage? What's the damage of me seeing into your backyard? So now, you told I built my house, you know, it was this lower house. You couldn't, you used to go skinny dipping in your pool. And now that I built my house, you can't go skinny dipping. So is that a monetary concern? Is that a, you know, is, what, what, is that an emotional damage? What is it? How do we view it? Is it my property values can go down, which would be monetary, obviously. Um, the fact that now there's less privacy. How do we view the damage? And it's not clear. There's different opinions as to how, in, within, Jew, within Jewish law, as to how we view it. And some do say, as feng shui, that it's only, it's a, it might only be a ayin hara, which means a heebie-jeebie issue, that the concern is if I see your business, um, you know, it can have an effect, supposedly, let's say, you know, I see this guy, wow. Look, what he, look at his crop in his backyard. Well, it's amazing what this guy has. And, you know, he has a beautiful, he has five jacuzzis and he's, and six jaguars in his in his backyard, so maybe that there's something which is called the evil eye. So that's another way of looking at it, but that's not the the normal of thinking of how to understand this. Uh, in simple understanding, it's purely a monetary issue. Yes. So does this affect? Does this come to effect on existing structures? <coughs> I buy a house. My existing house. Now, as a Jew. Right. So, so we'll get there. Um, I, I just realized I didn't number everything on the sheet here. I usually number when I'm done. I didn't put numbers here. No, but it is. It's. I don't know what number it is, but it's there. We'll get to it. It's a good question. Okay. Um, okay. So now, what's interesting is this concept of what's known as again hezek ria. Hezek means damages. Nezek means damages. Ria is seeing. Ria means to see. So this 
concept, like we're saying it has biblical roots from Bilam, um, considered a biblical uh, prohibition, um, according to most. Now, w- I saw one of the commentaries says, even if you never plan on looking, and let's say, is it only if I look in his property that I'm violating his law of privacy, or even not? So Mrs. Alman says, no, let's say, like, the guy says, listen, I'm, I'm blind and I'm living next door, you know, or, you know, I, I can't, I'm a short guy, I can't even see out that window. It's irrelevant. The point is, um, the, 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 what he explains is it's considered damage even if you never look through the window. The point is, this guy, he doesn't know whether you can look, you are looking, and therefore it takes away from his privacy. Again, he's not going to, or he or she, can't go skinny dipping anymore because they're concerned someone might be looking out the window. So it's irrelevant to whether you actually do it or not, whether you actually look or not. So, taking that for example, if if the other guy does it anyways, would, what would be kind of the punishment for that? Well, no, there's no... Like no, so we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. It's a good question. Is there cause for damages and how does that work? So we'll talk about that. Good question. Okay, so you just look at number three on the bottom. So there's another fascinating mission. Like I said, there's a whole, one whole chapter in in Masechet Baba Basra, in Tracted Baba Basra, deals with just these issues of what you're allowed to do in your own property. Again, we're not talking about even in your neighbor's property. We're talking about on your own property, we're inhibiting certain types of of, uh, of activities in your own property that can have ramifications for your neighbor. Okay. So amongst them, talks about what about opening a business in your property, um, things like that, or you know having some type of business in your property. How does that work? So let me find the mission here. So the this is interesting. Even has a see everything else before they even have drawings here. Like if you build a wall, a slope <coughs> in your backyard where you can see into your property. Which in it goes through the intricate uh, details of cases, so I don't go through all of them. I found this mission fascinating. Discusses the number three. It says one should not open a bakery or a cloth dyeing operation under his fellow storehouse, um, nor a cattle stall. Okay, so that means in those days, of course, it wasn't like today. We have these sprawling one-family homes. You'd have uh, two-family or three-family apartments. It was centered around the courtyard. If you've ever been to Europe, you can still see this, or even some places in Israel, in, in old like Meisharim. It's basically many. Uh, wa- dwellings, two-story dwellings, and um, I guess in the Heights they have this too. You know, back coming back in, where you're, you're trying to have, uh, trying to inhibit urban sprawl, putting everything, you know, condensing everything. Um, so you have two-story dwellings, let's say, where you share a court. Many apartment complexes technically fit this criteria. Okay. So the question is, so I, in my house, in my dwelling on the first floor, um, I open. Uh, you know, I open a bakery. Bakery obviously has fumes. You might, some people might even fumes smell good. But if you have, the guy on top of me has wheat storehouses. Okay, if he's storing wheat, those fumes are going to ruin his wheat. They're moist and whatever smell can have an effect and kill, and not kill, but I'm saying have an effect on his grain up there. So it says you cannot open a bakery, meaning the implication is normally you can man- you have a manufacturing, there's nothing, there's no problem with having manufacturing within your home. It, it, okay. It your or One your second. Well, we'll get to there. But right in this specific instances, it's saying since a bakery or cloth dyeing operation also has a bad smell, or cattle stall, cattle stall, okay, has smells bad and therefore will affect the guy upstairs, his grain, his grain storage. That you can't do. But it seems like from here. But anything else, manufacturing wise, as we'll see in a second, is not a problem. Okay. Now we'll, we'll, we'll try to explain it. Now the Mishnah continues, if one attempts to open a shop within the courtyard, 
But to have a store, now the difference here, as you can see, um, one is the first part is manufacturing. It's not, you're not selling, you're having a bakery, but you don't sell the baked goods there. Okay? Second part is it says if you're opening a shop within the courtyard, another may protest against him and say, I'm unable to sleep on account of the noise of those coming in and out. You're increasing the traffic, um, and people are coming in and out, which wasn't when I bought my apartment here, my condo, or when I'm renting here, this, this wasn't, this didn't exist. Now all of a sudden you're coming along, we had a nice private place, nice pool where I was walking around in my bikini, no problems now, all of a sudden we have all these um, people coming in and out, and I don't feel comfortable, I can't sit around and you know, I can't mow my lawn in my boxers anymore. Right? So, so that's the protest. So I'm unable to sleep on account of noise, and therefore he has a right to protest, therefore says you can't open a shop within your dwelling, in your courtyard. But if he manufactures, um, again, this is within your own house, uh, but if he manufactures utensils in the house, says the Mishnah, and sells them in the market, one cannot protest. That's not a shop. So he says, manufacturing, I'm not increasing the, the traffic. I'm doing something within my house. Listen. So, so it's saying the guy who lives upstairs, traffic. traffic or truck traffic, you could deliver materials. Okay, but... So. but but again, the issue is privacy, so just having delivery once in a while is not really so a trend, depending. Obviously, you have a major, we're not talking about, obviously, a major industrial, so you know, one second, a, ma major, one second yeah, a major a industrial factor. thing, we're not talking about a factory. Guys producing a bakery, so, so he gets delivery once a week of flour, that's not really increasing traffic. When, so, when you're selling something, so people are constantly coming to buy retail, then, then that's a big difference. Um, so, so one so second, yeah, okay, yes, yeah, that's good. So you're saying if the person upstairs manufactures utensils, or no, is that saying if the person who... Well, that's irrelevant, upstairs or downstairs. What we're saying is no one can complain, other members of the same courtyard can't complain if he's doing something in his house, even though he's going to see it smells what, and those other issues. What I'm confused on is, is it saying if the guy who's doing all that stuff is manufacturing utensils, you can't complain, or is it saying if you are also doing something... No, 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 it's irrelevant, and this is not related. There's three, three, let me, it's a good, let me, let me explain. There's three points that I see so far in this mission. One is, it says, if you're just manufacturing, um, you cannot, you, you're allowed to do that in your house, unless it's disturbing, the, it's, it's ruining the other, the ramifications are it's going to ruin the guy's grain. So if I'm manufacturing dyes or, or baking, where it's going to ruin the guy's grain, or I have cattle where the smell will ruin the guy's grain, that I can't do. Other manufacturing where it's not going to ruin someone else's, it's not going to cause damages to someone else's property, yeah. that's fine. To have a shop, that's rule number one, well, and number two, I guess. Rule number two, three is, you can't have a shop within your property um, that wasn't there before, you can't decide, I'm going to open a business, which can now will increase the foot traffic. Okay, and rule number four is, then the Mishnah throws in at the end, but if the manufacturer utensils in the house, sells them in the market, one cannot protest about the noise. Now, the last thing the Mishnah says, you cannot protest, and this is very important, the noise of children. And we're going to talk about that also, what that means. Um, noise of children cannot also be a protest. It's not what you think. It doesn't mean if someone has 12 kids. Yeah. That's not what it means, you know, if you live in marriage. You can't avoid that. No, but we'll talk about what it means exactly. It's a good point. Yes, that's for sure. But people can have as many children as they want. Um, so, although there are, by the way, in Houston, I know there's a, many of these uh, apartment complexes will say you, know, you can't have children in them. Dogs and children are not allowed. There's a place, I know, near Svandrin, um, that it's only technically the way they get around. I don't know how they legally how that works, but they say it's only for people, secondly for seniors, the majority has to be seniors, so there's, mm -hmm. and therefore no one's allowed the children, yeah. and uh, how that works legally. 
um, that's a contractual issue. They can say whatever they want, as long as it's not discrimination. Um, discriminating against people is a lot of trouble. Um, so, so, what, so, the, so the Hassam Sofer, so we'll get back, so let's explain this mission a little. So the Hassam Sofer, who lived in the Czechoslovakia, I would say, in the late 1700s, early 1800s, he explained the difference here between the two. Um, between what's the difference between manufacturing and owning a store? So I already gave it away, but I'll, he, he says it very clear. He says, he asks this question, what's the difference between the opening of a store and manufacturing or baking in the house? <coughs> Why are we saying manufacturing is okay, meaning producing the items are okay as long as you're not selling them retail? So he explains, as we said, manufacturing was generally done in people's homes. It was the norm. In those days, it wasn't like today. We had industrial zones and uh, etc. We had these huge before the industrial revolution. Obviously, many thousands of years before the mission was written, people would use their homes as their factory. Okay, that would be the factory. Man, even not so long ago, my father was from Poland. Me they had one of the biggest uh, owned the sugar monopoly in, in all of Poland. Very wealthy people in Poland before the war. Um, fortunately, all gone. Um, but uh, he, he, it was the business was in the house. It was a wholesale business. Everything was run. They had a three-story building where they lived on the top story and the bottom two floors were the sugar uh, manufacturing, whatever, whatever that entailed, and the backyard. Okay, there were other residents of the building. Okay, that's, that was the norm. The norm was manufacturing was part of the norm within um, the residential houses. As opposed to shop, he's saying, for a shop there's always the shuk, meaning there's a marketplace. Most places, most uh, societies have a place where you go to sell your wares. So it's not, it wasn't the norm to sell goods from your resident, from a place of residence. Okay, that wasn't the norm. Manufacturing was. Selling the goods was, you take your goods to the marketplace. And there's another option. Point is, if you put the manufacturing, if you don't disallow manufacturing within a household, okay, we'll see how it applies today. Obviously, times have changed. But if you disallow manufacturing within the household, so then the guy's out of business. He has to go in those days. Again, they weren't factories. This is, everything would be residential. It wasn't industrial. So then the guy, if you kick the guy out, he's out of business. As opposed to <coughs> selling, having a shop, he can go sell it in the, in the marketplace. There's always, every town had a marketplace. If not this town, if this town was too small, you'd go to the bigger, go to the village or the bigger city twice a week to sell your goods. So, so therefore, that wouldn't be putting the guy out of business. Okay, we're very concerned, as we know in Jewish law, with, about someone's livelihood. Um, sometimes and we'll see it might have been Trump in certain cases might Trump uh, privacy laws but the difference here is that's what the mission is making distinction between manufacturing where that was the norm was the accepted norm and in people in residential areas and therefore you put him out of business he'd know where to go as opposed to a shop um, he, he does have another option the option is to go sell it at the market okay you hear me good okay um, so that's what the Hassam self explained so, so that's the key difference between those two. Again, as we'll see, obviously today, this is not the norm. People don't usually manufacture within their homes, um, and therefore we'll see the law changes because we go with the, with the norm, as we're going to explain. The last thing I just want to point out, a fascinating um, issue, um, which is it says, or the noise of children. So the commentary explained, what does that mean? Why does the mission throw in? You can't protest the noise of children. It doesn't mean that the guy has 12 kids, you know, Mother Hubbard, you know, the lady with the shoe, what's, what's the nursery rhyme? In a while. Um, what's it called? Lady old mother. Old mother. Yeah. No, the one with the shoe. The lady with the oh, the only lady with the shoe had so many children, didn't know what yeah, to do. Exactly. Yeah. So it's not what it means. It, it's not referring to that. It says that it's actually referring to you have 
you tutor children. Well, you have in those days again they wouldn't have schools like that. So you had a, what's called a cheder. This was also the norm, where people children would come in to study under a rebbe. Whatever the case is, you have 10, 12 children. So listen, having you know 12 kids trudge through your your courtyard is not pleasant. Again, I can't go skinny dipping these kids around. Whatever the case is. So says the mission, you have no right to protest. When the kids are coming to study Torah, that trumps your privacy right. Even though normally privacy, is, as we see, it's a major issue. And a person doesn't, will take away someone's livelihood for the sake of privacy. But the study of Torah by children specifically, <coughs> says, says the Mishnah, you don't mess with that. That's so important. The education of children, but now interesting, only Torah education. If you're tutoring, um, piano lessons, right? Yeah. Exactly, piano lessons. So, or trombone piano, lessons. Piano lessons. You can object. Okay, exactly. It's so only Torah lessons. So then the corollary is, if you're not Jewish, you could properly oppose the teaching of Torah. Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, we're only talking about children. The only thing I've seen is children. If you're not teaching. Jewish, yes, yes. You could proper under the same thesis, since you don't care about Torah. Hundred percent. Yes. The corollary. In a non-Jewish society, you, this will obviously this wouldn't work. We're talking about two Jewish neighbors who are upholding Torah standards. So what we're saying is this, the neighbor doesn't have a right to protest right, when it's children. Right, but in today's times, yes. you know, we always talk about what's the applicability of Torah to today's times. Yes, so well, yeah, today's so times of mixed, mixed neighborhoods. Right. So the Gentile yeah, 100%. Who says, listen, there's a bunch of children over there. Children yes, 100%. Fine. He has every right to protest. He has every right. Yes, thank you. He doesn't have to keep up Torah. My question is, and forgive me, I'm a little inexperienced in this part, but how loud does a Torah study session get? That you've you never been. Program. I see you haven't been here for enough sessions. We can get. <laughs> I mean, we can well, get. Any other tenants complain? But I mean, in today's day and age, we have. We're talking about I, I, I house think, above another. So, so if you are on one floor above, it's, it's not the noise, it's the comings and goings. Yeah, it's well, both. Yeah, it's also, no, if you've ever been to Israel, Seth, you need to get there. But you it specifies that as the noise so of children. Yeah, no, so, so I'm saying is, first of all, children do, if if you have a school, they're going to be making a lot of noise playing ball. But but also, they if you've ever been to old, like, traditional Torah study, like in Meisharim, you like they all say it out loud, they all in unison, the okay. Rabbi David so prays with them and he learns with them, so it's all like they're repeating it, so it could be rather noisy actually. So it's not talking about like a one-on-one tutoring session, yes. it's talking yeah. about yeah. more like it, Yeah, group. surely a one-on-one, you can't so protest, but he's saying even when there's a group where they're studying out loud, you know, and you have, you can have up to 25 kids there, and, you, know, you know, at one time, t- reading out loud in unison, that could be, okay. it can bother you. Okay, that's what they're doing. Right. So, uh, so that's what, that's what the... Rav explains, uh, I quoted right there after, on the sheet, it says, children equals a class to teach him Torah in his home. Permitted, permitted the increased noise and traffic for the sake of spreading Torah study. Teaching secular studies does not enjoy the same dispensation that Maimonides says um, on, his, on his commentary on the mission. So, so secular studies, I was saying, like uh, surely not uh, giving saxophone lessons or trombone uh, or uh, drum lessons. So Anyone had that experience of a child who took drum lessons knows that <laughs> sometimes the parents protest. <laughs> yeah. So going off what Dad said, if a if a Christian lives underneath me and I'm teaching a Torah study session and they they take problem with it. Yes, that's what your dad said. That's yeah. not a problem. So they have every right to protest. Alright. Yeah, we're, we're talking about two Jews. This whole issue you would fairly decide that who's in the right. No, so there's no one in the right. It's a point. We're uh, a Gentile doesn't have to observe the Torah. So it's not his problem. We have an so obligation. Have we're talking about no no again. Well, if yes, if he protests, okay. yes, probably be, you have to keep the law of the land. We'll get to that. 
We're talking about two Jews who are neighbors who uphold, who are going with the dictates of the Torah. That's what we're talking about. In Jewish society, obviously, in non-Jewish society, you, you can't force our our uh, standards on, on so your Gentile neighbors. We'd be obligated to stop it in that case. Yes, I mean, you okay. can't we can't force our dictates on them. Again, this is giving us perspective of what the Torah would say, but we can't force our dictates on, on Gentiles. Doesn't that, um, legally and even halachically, we don't want to do that. Okay. Now, someone asked before, I don't remember who it was, which came maybe, Seth, you asked the question, how does it work when, when there's an issue of, uh, if two permissible domestic uses, and they're competing with each other, um, they're both permissible, and, but they're contradictory, okay, meaning I, I'm upstairs, I want to store my grain, the downstairs guy wants to have a bakery, both, you know, how does that work? So how, who, how do we decide who has the right to do what? They're both permitted uses, technically. The guy has the right to store his grain, the guy on the bottom has the right to the bakery. So basically, as you mentioned before, it, that will depend on who came first. Meaning if I move into the apartment complex and the guy on top has his grain there, I cannot open a bakery down below or a cattle store or whatever it is, and which will cause damage. Once let me finish my point. So, and the opposite is true. Of course, if I have my bakery, this guy now says, well, I want to store my grain here. That's too late. If I was here, if I had a bakery here, you know when you're moving in that there's a bakery downstairs which couldn't have the potential to ruin your grain, and therefore you have no right to store the grain. So it works both ways. Basically, the precedence, um, whoever was preceded, um, was there first, is the one that's going to have rights to, to that permitted usage, permitted usage of the property. Yeah. Could that be taken, t could that little piece there, whoever began his operation first has the right to continue? Could that be taken to mean that even if I didn't live there first, if I've been doing this business long before, you no, no, it's yours, what's what took place on this property? Because that's okay. the only thing I know. Listen, so I, so just because you're if you you could be doing it for thirty years, it opened since nineteen twenty one. It's irrelevant. Point okay. is, I'm moving into the property, so I have to look at what what do the neighbors expect if they're doing a specific duty. So then, yeah. no, but if if I if there's already certain things going on that. I move into a courtyard where certain activities are taking place mm. that if I'd already lived there, I could object to. But if I'm moving in later, do I still have the right to object? Again, so Let's say we have a courtyard that's only two houses. Right? Right. Um, and I was the second one to buy a house. But the first owner had a period of time where he was by himself. So he ran an operation that, under these guidelines, somebody who, if someone had owned the other house, could have objected at the same time. Okay. But now, since the house has been empty, and it was never now I'm buying the house. Can I go in after the fact that an object? Oh, so it's a very good point. Um, I didn't discuss it here, but I, I've seen it's, it is discussed in Jewish law, and which extensively, which I, I don't want to give the wrong answer, but I believe there's a concept, and this is actually the Talmud discusses it extensively, called chazak, um, which means that there's a concept called status quo within, and I believe it's in secular law too which is that if something's being done for X number of years in a certain manner, you can't just come and change it. For example, the classical case, which is very interesting, I actually saw a case, um, even have, see if I have it here. There was a case, um, I don't know if I have it here, I don't know if I printed it out, but it's a case where, um, like a, it was a synagogue or something where they had, this happens a lot. You have a shortcut, you know, there's, a, let's say, an empty lot. Someone owns a Bel Air or whatever. And people, you know, cut across. Instead of going around the corner, they just go diagonally to save time. You cut across the lot. And it's empty for, you know, six years. It's 
been doing, people are doing that, wherever, wherever it is, on the way to the synagogue, or whatever there, that's the norm, you, people cut across the flat. Tech, according to Jewish law, you can't just come and get rid of that path. You have to allow them access. It's been status quo. No one protested. The owner of the property never protested. And he allowed people to access that through that lot to, to, for a shortcut. So then he has to now provide access, even after he gives bills on the lot. Too. Right? Yeah. But it's, it's it's just well, but if there wasn't so a problem before, why is there a problem now? But no, because now he wants to have his pool there. He wants to go skinning it. Is a stop. means you're a stop to assert a right where, where practice has been going on for, for an extended period of time. And if you bought the property and you and it was clear and evident that this is going on, you can't now assert Let's say I always owned the property. I just never protested. So then also... Then, then, then it's a little different. It's a fact issue as to how long you let it go. Right. Okay, no, there's that, no bright line. It's the same there's, thing. There's, 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 Allah is, I'm assuming okay, they got a few... But what happens then if that's a vacant lot and someone decides to build something that's, on that's it? That's what you're saying. Even legally... Then what? Does he still legally have to prov- allow know, people laws. to trek through? He, even though it was you okay when it was You have to provide other vacant. access, I no. think. I think the no. laws... If you don't have to. build... Yeah, but I mean, let's say. Unless they've created a, a common law easement, which is very difficult to perfect. But he can't, sort of the easy answer is he can't block off the footpath okay. traffic. Okay. If, however, you now want to convert it into another use, he probably has the right to do that unless it's just gone on for 40 years and then you can, there are protections that come. But if it's gone on for 40 years, he doesn't have the right to do anything with it. Because he apparently no longer has the right to build or use that area, so does the city? He use it in a way where there's still access, is what he's. Saying. He has to provide access. Th- those are difficult fact questions. <laughs> I'm not evading. Bottom but line is, he still owns it, but he can't do much with it. Just depends. Depends on the facts of it. If that's the only path, you know, is there another path that, that people could it's use? The, the only behind, path yeah. might, yeah, they, might they have to go an extra half block? Might they have to go 17 miles through? through the wilderness. Okay. I mean, really judge, would look at, judge would look at all of those things and make them a determination. Yes, so, so again, I, I don't know enough about the legal aspects, but the point is, so it seems like it's very similar. Halacha, Jewish law is very similar in that sense. You know, it's that concept of, I don't know what the legal term is, but right of access, or if it's been going on for X amount of time. I had a case... And so you have to and print it out. Continue. That's very right. interesting. Depending on, depending on the, there's a lot of details, obviously, about it. General. That's so, so would, would that apply to say a gas station that's been in disrepair, sitting there for years? <coughs> the store's empty. No one's using it. It's like there's a little cut through between each side of the street. They can't suddenly block that cut through. The shell station in the store. No, it just depends on. on the yeah, it depends on a lot of details. An easier way is there are ways around that block. Yes, an easier way to look at it is my next door neighbor, who's not Jewish, is protesting the shul across the street. Oh, we'll get there. We'll get there. No, no, okay. We'll get there. If somebody bought his house, he can continue to protest because he protested timely. If someone bought his house and then started protesting, they, they, they'd be stopped. They wouldn't be able to bootstrap. They would not be able to bootstrap to his mm-hmm. rights. His rights are, are good. Because they knew it was there before they were Because he, yeah. yeah. he very well, Unless it's illegal, unless the, the action of having a show might be illegal. Anyway. Well, I'm going right. with Assuming <laughs> yes. that it's illegal. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's an emotional issue. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay, so I'm just talking about the next door neighbor, not Jewish, what his rights are. Basically, he can't piggyback on someone else's rights. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Okay, so we're going to we're going to actually. I think I want to touch on that. So now, so till now, this is. Very, all very nice in theory. What we're discussing, all these various laws of zoning and etc. Question is, uh, today most municipalities, maybe not in Houston, have uh, have zoning laws. Um, so Houston doesn't, but in a certain sense, even many of the neighbors that did have deed restrictions, even though that's contractual. Um, but I think that's really part of it. That's what we're going to discuss in a second. We'll see that it's an issue of, as we're saying, when you buy your property today, you know what you're getting into because you have, you know what the zoning laws are in that municipality, or if you're buying in a neighborhood, you know what the deed restrictions are, which is really similar. So it becomes more, as we see, a, a as we're saying, a standard. Yeah. My, my, my statement that was too broad. Uh, so somebody who bought my neighbor's house wouldn't have the rights to say so uh, from inception. But if they bought it and received an assignment, of my neighbor's rights, meaning there was a there was a separate piece of paper in which the purchaser said, "I'm aware that this is going on, and I'm buying it, and I'm buying your rights to object." He, when you, you said the word that? piggyback, okay. he could piggyback to those rights if there was a pre. He could so not. So it's just contractual between the two parties, right? Mm -hmm. He could he could wow. bootstrap and piggyback your word. He could piggyback to those rights. He could not, however, come in and say, I bought it, and whoa, now I see it, and I'm starting afresh. He should have known when he bought it. He should have known, but he could get to those rights by an assignment. Out of curiosity, not to pinpoint this example, but let's say, forget the assignment issue. The shul across the street, a new owner buys it, he has no right to pay it. Right. Now, two years later, right, the shul's tripled in size. Now the whole issue of traffic and noise and everything else has changed. Does it does that mean talk about right to pop into it? I know legally. If 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 he could rightfully say, look, what was going on didn't even rise to the level of my notice. And now then he could assert. And it's a fact issue, not a law. Before he gets to a legal issue, the fact issue. If, however, there was traffic that he was on notice that there was a non-conforming use on the day he purchased, and now the non-conforming use has expanded, but it's still the same non-conforming use, he'd have a tough burden. So basically, if there are people parking along the street, but it didn't really affect him before, but now there are people parking on both sides or of the street, or the street he, can't, he can't say anything. But if there's oh, and I would say it, it'd, be, it'd be difficult for him to assert that position if there was uh, he had not kind of if he had knowledge going in that there was this a could happen even that it could happen it wasn't happening but the potential for it to happen that's what I would say as long as he understood the potential the show can grow. But if he says that I never thought, listen, it was five only... Days a week instead of it, two it, days it, a week. It, right. If it went from two days to five days, he probably doesn't have much case. Meaning, let's if say, it, I'll tell you an example. Fact, let's say it was an Orthodox shul. So no one was driving on Shabbos. And then it becomes a reform shul. Everyone starts driving. If it became two cars every other Sunday and he just didn't even... Yeah, I heard somewhere that they were praying over there, but who knew? Then I think he'd have a lot of leeway to go forward with the case. 
and, and assert the rights. Mm. So estoppel is like everything prove, else. You know, the honest the burden would be on him to prove that he didn't know at the time. Uh, yeah, not so much. But yeah. so he just has to, Well, I don't know who the burden would fall to. Uh, he, he he would argue he had no knowledge. Then they would have to show. Then the other party would say, No, no, you did know, uh, or you should have known. Mm -hmm. So then, you know, I'm not sure who's the burden no falls burden. to. Got it. Um, now I know why Ashby took seven years. <laughs> of course. So, for a more specific example, based on that, <laughs> uh, say, with say someone seven years. Mm -hmm. You familiar with it? Yeah, they want to build a house. I read. What happens if? All right. So, to my knowledge, that house doesn't make a lot of noise. Doesn't cause a lot of problems. Uh, I barely notice it, except for around Hanukkah time, they're okay. there with the cradle. So, would there be a big case there? Do you think? Because do you think it'd be noticeable that there is a big thing going on there constantly if you're not constantly out of your house that day to see it? Just because the rabbi moves in? Or because no, no, because sure. someone else moves in two doors down, would they have a case to say, I protest this, or even just across the street, but they... Again, those are all facts circumstances. There's no protest to have a show to have a rabbi live in a house. Right, but I'm no, not but saying, saying if he has uh, services. The cars are there and they suddenly notice it later on, but... Yet again, there was no way to notice it beforehand. Unless he's having services daily, unless he starts having daily services. That would be a good example. Right. Yeah, I know, but that's a good example. Let's say they only have services once a week. Now he decides to have daily services. Originally, there was no knowledge because all we saw was an occasionally more cars. We thought it was a party. Again, it's a fact issue. If he had no reason to believe that there was anything transpiring that was going to become a regular basis, then, he's, then okay. somebody could assert the objection. Okay. In fact, he should have had reasonable, he should have reasonably known that something was going on there, that he'll be stopped to assert okay. it. So okay, so we're we'll running out of time. Seth, you got to give me some time. <laughs> okay, so... Okay, so now, so this is, this is what turns everything on its head, is what we discussed many times in the past, is very relevant here, which is called, even back then, there was what's, there's a concept called, the bottom of the page here, Hakol Kiminag Hamadina. It means local law, local custom, I don't say law, prevails. That means, what's the accepted norm in this society, okay? Um, uh, right, so even of privacy, what's the accepted norm of privacy? Like I was telling this architect this morning, he lives in uh, the Southwest, so I was telling him one of the reasons I like living in Maryland is even as a rabbi, I can go ahead and mow my lawn, you know, I, you know, I can go in the morning, get the paper, walk out of my boxers, no one, you know, is, no one cares in Maryland. If I live in young Israel now, it's more, you know, over there. Like, I couldn't do that. Right? I couldn't mow the lawn in my boxers. Right, so, so, right, so what's the accepted norm in that neighbor? Meaning, so, in, meaning, right, so what's the accepted form of privacy? Okay, well, oh, in, in young Israel, a certain conception, people are not going to go skin maybe, I don't know, skinny dipping in their backyard. You know, in other neighborhoods, if you live, uh, you know. Okay, you could do that. So what's the accepted norm? So that, the halacha says, that the local custom is what defines it. Um, so this comes into play, obviously, in our society today. It's changed a lot, as I'm saying, manufacturing issues. In those days, they would manufacture in their house. Today, it's not done in a residential area. There is no manufacturing. Therefore, when I'm buying a house or renting an apartment in a residential area, I can assume that manufacturing is not taking place here. Okay? That, that is the assumption in this area. Again, it depends where you live. If you're buying a house in, in India, 
you know, or whatever. In Pakistan, maybe there is that, that is the assumption there, depending on where you live. You gotta wait because you gotta, you're running out of time. So, um, so, so that's the halacha says. Therefore, all goes by the local custom and financial agreements between two parties. This is a general principle in all of halacha. Minaka mako, meaning we, we discuss this industry standards, for example. It applies to other cases, but here we're applying it. This principle is applied very clearly in the halacha. That you have to look at the local customs. When you buy a rented apartment or a house, the assumption is the neighbors will follow the local norm. And if and anything out of so anything that falls within the realm of the local norm, then that's fine. Then you can't protest that. But if something's out of the local norm, that's where you can protest. So I, I put on the back here. If you turn to the back, so this is contemporary times. So obviously. The principle is still the same, meaning obviously today we're very different as the source that we brought to the encampment to the desert. We had uh, two million people li- living in tents in the camp. Right? Clearly today our societies are not like that anymore, unless you live in Gaza maybe. But, um, but the point is, so, so the, the, the principle is still the same. The concepts of privacy at core remain the same, have right to privacy. Um, I as a neighbor cannot impinge on my neighbor's privacy, but the definition of privacy changes okay very much you know what's considered okay and what's considered not so let's just go through some of these examples um so a one may not open a bakery or dining operation today everyone almost all the contemporary authorities that i saw discuss say you cannot open a bakery or dining operation even though the mission says explicitly you can because the zoning laws in almost all municipalities will prohibit that and therefore when i'm buying a house that is the accepted norm is not to have a bakery in your house you got to have a bakery and it's affecting your neighbor. Again, by the way, it doesn't have to mean the same courtyard upstairs. If in any way the smell is, ramf- is, is has ramifications for your neighbor, you know, I don't know if they're gluten uh, allergic, I don't know, what the, whatever the case may be, most people would like a bakery next to their house. Okay, so, so, uh, so then you're not allowed to do that. A newly opened window in compliance with zoning laws is fine since the neighbor has already relinquished that level of privacy. Meaning, so even though, so even though, um, in Allah, we're saying you can't open a window across but when I'm moving into a neighbor, like you said today, and if I'm it's a mixed neighbor, it's a Gentile, Gentiles are Jews, I can't expect any of my neighbors, even the Jewish neighbor, to uphold these standards. The, the, whatever is okay within the zoning laws, that's what the neighbor is expecting. Um, he's not expecting a higher level of privacy from his neighbor than what the municipality or the deed restrictions comply to. So I can't, even though halacha might have a higher standard, but the point, unless again you're living in a halachic society, you're living in Meisharim, so then you maybe that works. But if you're living in a society where there is explicit zoning standards by the municipality or the deed restrictions, then that's the normal, that's the norm. That so becomes that the minute I The shul? We'll get to the shul. So I think but I put so it okay, in. Well, is that, okay, well, but, okay, so does that mean you as the, if you're the one building that window? So I'm allowed to build a window, is what I'm saying. The neighbor Even cannot expect that. more from me. So is that because the that's the norm in this society? Okay, I'm not expecting. I'm, I'm, I'm taking it from the other office. Yeah. Forget about what the neighbor expects. Uh, you're mileage might have a neighbor doesn't even know this law. But yeah, if you move to a neighbor, you check the deed. Okay. You're supposed to read no, the no, 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 But you have a deed restricted. Your window, if you moved it away from his window, would still be within the deed restriction. Yeah. Assuming that's fine. Is that what is your obligation as you as a owner? Doesn't matter. Still, I'm not. Seems to be saying none. Yes. What we're saying is that you only have to uphold, meaning, again, because it's my obligation to the neighbor. It's not what his right is, right? right? So what we're saying is your obligation is only as much as he expects. 
and since he moved into Bel Air, and this is the rules of the DJ, whatever, I don't know if they have how it's a zoning or deed restrictions, whatever it is, my land, so it has deed restrictions. So he read the deed restrictions. That's all he's expecting. He's not expecting just because you happen to be a religious Jew who has higher standards of privacy or whatever the case may be, he's not expecting more. Your obligation to him is only what the, what the normal standard is. Okay? So, how far does that rule extend? Does it extend to neighbors on either side of your house, to the whole street, to your whole block, your, your city, your state, your Whatever, country? wherever that municipality extends to. If it's Bel Air, so it's just Bel Air. If it's, uh, if it may, you know, the way most places in Houston, there is no zoning. So it works by the, by not by the municipality, but the deed restrictions of Maryland estates, of Maryland, so of uh, either city or uh, state. South Maplewood, Southwest. Right. No, so I'm saying even less. It goes not only to, to the municipality, even to the, it, that's contractual already, clearly, when you get together with a bunch of homeowners saying we want to protect the value of our homes. Okay, so does this fall into the same category? You say, because we're out of time, I don't want to let people, so let me just finish and then we'll ask questions. So D is changing use of building um, into a shul. So this is a shul issue. So meaning some, what I've seen is discussed, is you can't do that. Meaning if this house goes by the norm, so if this house was always used as a residential home, okay, can't quote me on this in any, Okay, so you can turn the tape off. Okay, <laughs> if this was this was used as a as a residential setting for forever, and the assumption is it's residential. Now someone comes into this sh uh, place, right? Um, so what I've seen is fascinating. It says you can't even. Um, the issue becomes now. Let's say let's say there's no traffic. Let's say they're walking. It's not traffic. It's okay, but even foot traffic, they're not invading your privacy. They're coming through the street. They can't see into you. Uh, but the point is. We have more people in this household now who can now see into the neighbor's yard. I Meaning he had a window, and the window looks out onto the neighbor's yard. Okay, but that's the norm. We said that's he, he, the window was always there. But now, by opening a synagogue or whatever it is, even let's say like we're saying tutoring, you can have a tutoring service in his house, more people are now going to be looking into your yard. So that, I saw one response, says that in itself is an invasion of privacy. The fact that now you have 15 people in the house Saturday morning who are looking into the neighbor's yard as opposed to before there was only you know, five people living in the house. That in itself is a violation of privacy laws, um, of, from what I saw in at least the one shoe. Now the difference is some, I, mean, I did see some contemporary authorities discuss today, to realize in those days the concept of window shades didn't exist. You had a, just a hole, there wasn't even glass, there was no pain, you had a, just a square, you know, you lived in the Middle East, just an opening. So the concept of window shades didn't exist. If they had shutters, I, did, I didn't get a chance to do research on it, but shutters were just at night, you know, maybe you closed your shutters. You know, for it was called. Apply to people walking in the streets who are looking. And right. So the issue becomes. So today, where we have the ability to to, have, to put down the shades, at least not in the backyard part, but in the house part. So it could be that's another issue, which they say, listen, buy shade. But the norm is today to have window shades. So I'm not concerned that my neighbor has a window across from me, because that's not his problem. It's really the owner's. If you own a house, listen, you have a window, put down your shades. No one's asking you know, if you clean your house and the nude. That's your problem. It's not the neighbor's problem. Right, so, so that's really, um, that's some of them discussed that also, and the option of blinds and shades. So again, but that doesn't work for backyard. This guy built a second story now, he built a, you know, a garage apartment where you can now look into your pool, and you, again, you go and skinny dip. So that's not, there's nothing you can do in that case. So that might not be applicable. Okay, so I'm missing the, the NIMBY part. I'm gonna, you know, since we're out of time, I'm not gonna get to talk about it, but as far as Ashby, that really was the question there. So I'll just tell you quickly the principle that I found discussing NIMBY in Halakha. Everything, it's amazing how you can find anything. Even NIMBY, which stands for Not In My Backyard, I think is a new concept. Um, it wasn't invented recently. 
so the, this discussed in halacha so the basic principle is that um, the municipality or the government not only the national government even local municipalities have a right to decide what's best for society concept of eminent domain that they have a right to, to even confiscate property they feel like this as long as they compensate the residents there so they have a right to, to confis- even confiscate property as long as they're doing it um, once you have found for altruistic reasons I mean let's say we believe uh, having this high rise here will now bring in more tax revenue to the city which will help the whole city now we can build parks and build schools and whatever AGISD needs more income uh, needs to cover their budget so that in itself is good as long as it's not to line the pockets of the politicians who are making decisions, um, if they're doing it for altruistic reasons, where they believe this is a betterment to society, according to Allah, they have a right to do that. Okay, again, it has to be, again, for altruistic reasons. If they're doing it just because they know the contractor and they want to score on the, on the deal, then obviously that's, that doesn't work. So that, that's basically the principle that's discussed here. But, so NIMBY doesn't work. As a, as a citizen, as an individual, the... Um, the government has a right to override your NIMBY concerns. Okay, again, they, if they're taking actual property or there's damage, actual damages to you, they might have to compensate. So that's a whole, that's a fascinating piece to itself. Um, so it's, it's interesting. I, I've, I've learned a lot doing a little research for this. But uh, it's a good topic. That yes. the local customs seem to overshoot so, so again the principle no, so I'll tell you it's not that they're overshooting to our requirements it's it's the what I put here when you have financial agreements between the parties what it is is the same way deed restrictions work deed restrictions is different than privacy rights deed restrictions is a contractual obligation when you buy this house you're basically signing right. a contract saying I'm going to agree to these criteria of zoning right so, so what, the, what we're saying is any ca- contractual ab- agreement between two parties overrides... That I understand. No, so what we're saying is... So let me explain. So the norm is considered a contractual obligation, is what, what we're saying. Whatever the normal... Thank you very much. Whatever the norm in that society is, it's as if you're agreeing to that when you buy the house. If this is the norm in this neighborhood, yeah. that you have to paint your, paint your garage hot pink, right. so then that's, I'm agreeing to that when I buy the home. That's really what it's saying. So if I'm going to build a hotel... Or apartment in a Catskills. I don't have to worry about having my doors, doors on the hallway facing each other or anything else. What do you mean? You're you're a developer. Develop- I'm a developer. I'm developing a hotel or apartment, which is going to rent out. It's going to be a mostly Jewish clientele. So the fact that the doors are all yeah, so again, obviously, other, no. So matter. they talk about it. Of course, ideally, it's best to build it according to the criteria of Allah, like we said, if it's going to be a Jewish society, so you want to keep it also, if it's Neot reasons, you want to build it with the, what the Torah defines as Neot, as the right way to build something. Privacy, you know, privacy issues. But as far as when it comes to recourse of damages, can I take you to bet? And that's where we're saying... As a renter. No. Right. Well, that's where... Ahead of time well, yeah, well, if you see it, but I'm saying even, let's say afterwards you move a window, someone moves a window, that's where we're saying it goes with the standard norms of that society. Because so, uh, then you understood, meaning not because the norms of society override the Torah's norms. It's not the point. The point is you you expected that when you bought when you signed the contract. And therefore, that's what you expected. It's not that we're saying society's criteria are better than the Torah's. God forbid. Well, Torah's criteria are usually I mean, right. like to think are always morals are always better than society's. It's not the issue of the moral issue of privacy. It's the issue of you agree to this when you sign on the dotted line. You knew what you were getting into, as you said. 
when I bought this house, I knew there was a synagogue here. If, I move into, if I'm moving into young Israel, which I, which I know ahead of time, I'm, I'm moving there because I know it's an Orthodox community. So am I saying I'm, I, my, obligate, my mm. expectations should it's be lower a little bit because of this? Hi, what do you mean? Oh, you say lower because of these restrictions? Um, that's a good question how that works. Listen, you, again, you have to look at what's the meaning mm. of that neighbor problem. If it's not, if, if listen, if you were clueless that there was, you know, it was Orthodox neighbor and it was just deed restrictions and you sign up to that, you, I mean, it would depend on the facts. What, it's a lot of land, you have to know in your mind, like you said, you have to prove, I don't know who the onus is on, what were you thinking when you bought this house? What did you expect? What were your expectations when you signed this contract? That's really the issue. It's an Orthodox community, which means... Okay, so then if we can prove that. If you could, that you expected to that uh, these are the standards, so then you're right. That would be... Uh, Right, so our friend here does not have to worry about it, where he lines his windows up on his apartment complex. Right. <laughs> so I need, I need your, it seems like you're knowledgeable about this area. You're knowledgeable in the legal part. You don't. I know, I know the principle of estoppel. Okay, no, so <laughs> so I'm saying when I give, uh, might give this class to, for an attorney, so maybe I'll have you join me. <laughs> Help me out. I don't know. No, no, you're going to give it a bunch of lawyers. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, no. Plenty to say. I found the lawyers are cool as You have been listening to the MP3 project from the Jewish Ethics Institute. For a complete selection of our lectures, please visit our website at j-ethics.org. Shalom.